0: My name's Christy. I'm on staff here. We are so glad that you joined us this morning. If you are new, we would love to get a chance to know you after service. Um, Ryan, Chad, and myself, some of our staff will be outside. We'd love to um, just get to know you and why you're here. Um, A few announcements before we get started. The first is that on Tuesday we have a women's event. It's going to be game night. Um, There's prizes involved. There's going to be appetizers and ice cream sundae bar. It will be down in the basement at 6 o'clock. It's free, but we just ask that you um, register online so we have enough food and prizes and all the things. Um, So we'd love for you to join us. It's just a great opportunity for you to connect with other women um, and get to know our women's ministry. We'll be talking a little bit about our theme for the year, um, which is to the full. And it's based on Romans 10, 10 or John 10, 10 about living life to the full. So we'd love for you to join us. And the second announcement is that our Vacation Bible School is coming up the last week of July, so July 26th to 30th. And it will actually be here all five days that week from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. noon. Um, It's the first time we've ever had a campus to have our Vacation Bible School at, so we're really excited about being able to plant those seeds in little ones' lives. I know I still remember a lot of Vacation Bible School experiences growing up. Um, and we think that this is just a really foundational thing for our kids. So if you're interested in volunteering, um, you can sign up online. You can volunteer one day or five days. Um, or if you want to send your kids ages 4 through 11, they can come to Vacation Bible School. And that's it. Here's Ryan. I
1: heard, I heard this. You don't ever have to clap when I come up, but it does always feel nice. Thank you. Uh, no, 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 don't. Don't. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> but I love to have like oh, I guess we're not doing that um, uh, Hey, I want to welcome you guys. I think a, a few of you are new I've met you and i'm really glad you're here. It's a great day for a sunday Uh, if you're sitting back by the fan, you know that you are one of the wiser people in the room. So uh, but yeah, so I uh You know, my name is Ryan Grable. I'm the lead pastor here, and like Christy said, we would love to get to meet you. I usually can tell who's new while I'm speaking, and so I will try to find you. but. Uh, what's always helpful is if you just stay frozen in your seats when we dismiss, and then I can come find you, so if you want to do that. But uh, we just believe in community here. We believe in connection, and we want you to feel known and that you are known within our community. Our church loves to meet people who are visiting and connect. It's one of our top priorities of intentional community. And so if you are new, yeah, we are glad you're here. And if you're just checking us out, uh, we, uh, if you have any questions, let us know as well. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. God, we love you, and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this series on David, and um, God, as we're halfway through the journey of his life story gone, um, thank you for the inspiration and um, the words of wisdom that we're seeing within your scripture, but ultimately, God, that um, it's an inspiration to obedience to you. We want to do our own things all the time, God, and God, help us continually see the value of following your path. It may not always be easy like David's story, but it is always beneficial uh, for your work and for your kingdom. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If, uh, and like I said, if you're new, uh, if you, we're about halfway through this series on David We wanted to take the entire summer and do a very in-depth look on the life and history of David. And um, if you feel like, oh man, I'm going to be lost, don't worry. Uh, These kind of go individually, so uh, we're going to extract certain values from each part of his story. You can always go back and listen on the podcast or watch them on YouTube or from our website. Um, But let me just give you just an idea, uh, if you don't know about this series. We are going to just look at every monumental moment of David's rise to become king. And we're going to look at all these kind of like these defining moments in his life. David was probably one of the most prominent figures in the Bible. He set the path for Jesus, and he modeled some of the very important things that Christ came and really uh, and, and really kind of exemplified these certain values and truths, right? And uh, we're going to look at David. If you can think about the whole series, the whole series is ultimately this. David lived a life of obedience. It doesn't mean he was perfect, as we will find out more in his story. It doesn't mean that he is uh, 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 Christ in in his walk. No. But David uh, was striving for something bigger than what most humanity could, could live up to. And that was to be obedient to God. And he was just, in some cases, maybe some would say he was faithful. Maybe some would say he was just dumb enough to believe God. And on the outcome, David was ultimately wise in doing so. Uh, the passage series that we picked was this. And it was written a thousand years after David David's uh, reign was done but how they spoke of David thousands of years later is really important to find out what they thought of David in their, uh, in their country, in the nation of Israel. And Paul, who was a, previously Saul, was one of the greatest scholars of his time. Uh, before he converted to Christ. And as he's speaking of David, of which everyone would say, this is what David was about. This is what Paul said in one of his sermons in Acts chapter 13, 22. It's on the screen. And when he had removed him, meaning Saul, he, God, raised up David to be their king. And of whom he, God, testified and said, I have found in uh, in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Key phrase, who will do all my will. This is what separated him from the pack. This is what established him to be this great king. This is what, why we say David was a man after God's own heart, meaning he was willing to do what God wanted him to do and needed to do. The nation of Israel needed him. After they had a failed attempt at a king who was disobedient to God, David needed to be obedient. Today, we're going to look at this end of an era, the end of an era of Saul, who was this, I would say, inadequate king to rule Israel that the people wanted, and God gave the people what they wanted, the type of king that they would want, and Saul failed miserably in so many ways, but he was still, in a way, a son of Israel, and he was still honored at the end of his day by David, which says a lot about who David is. And, um, and we're going to look at just like the rise of a new king and the rise of a new kingdom. Israel doesn't realize it at the time, but their lives are about to radically change by new leadership. And we're going to take a deep look into ultimately um, the values that David possessed that ultimately stuck with his reign and rule and why he would be considered the greatest king of Israel. And so I just titled this message a new kind of king. And the, and the whole uh, mindset would be this way, and we can equate it in a little bit way, a way of the kingdom of heaven as well, is that David was um, he was presenting a new way of, of a kingdom. It was contrary to what other kingdoms experienced. I don't know about you, but when I think about living back, when I'm a big history fan, and when I think about living back in some of these ancient eras. And I just see the way things went. The only way I could ever see myself living back then was to be actually in charge. Because <laughs> it wasn't good for anyone else. No one else benefited. It was a very difficult life. And David was a different kind of king who, who saw the people as God's people. It's different when you see people that way. He, his, his mindset was so different than every other king and very different from Saul's but David is going to come in and he's going to present a new way for the kingdom to operate the way God would want this kingdom to operate in the way that David would be as a leader have any of you ever gotten a new boss or a new owner of your company and they changed the entire culture of your company just raise your hand if your boss is in here don't raise your hand it's such an interesting thing what a leader can do one leader can come in and change the entire culture of the organization. Sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's not so good. And you will find that the the struggle or the rub is in the new leadership change. And Israel doesn't seem to have this because of the type of leader David is, you know, the type of person. I, I will never forget the greatest contrast of a leadership change in a church I worked for. It was a very large church in Texas, and the senior pastor was very like distant and hands-off and um, r- rarely was at the church. I, I, I worked for him for many years. I only met him twice, the senior pastor. This was crazy. It was a big church, though. But I uh, I remember when they started the leadership change, and it was a slow process, and it was done really well, the new leader came from running like Fortune 500 companies. And so my old leader, and then my new leader came in, and then I didn't realize how hungry I was for a structure and a corporate structure within a church that felt like whatever I did didn't matter. I remember going to my other boss, um, who was the executive pastor, and he was so laid back, and I'd be like, okay, how are things going? Can you give me an evaluation? And he was like, oh, Ryan, you know what? You're doing great. I hear good things. I was like, do you want to look at like what we're doing? He's like, I trust you. You're good. In one way, that was good. And the other way, I was like, when am I winning here? Like, where are we going? And when the new uh, leader came in as the senior leader, I just right away was like, whatever you have, I want to learn it. And I'll never forget, it was an uproar within the staff because there were those who loved the casual, just kind of whatever, but the church was struggling as well, in vision especially. And the new leader comes in, and uh, it was just unbelievable what happened, our strategy, our structure, everything It was the largest contrast of any leader change I've ever been in. And it changed the entire culture of the church. And I was very, very happy that that happened. And I feel like Israel is in one of these places where they've just been aimlessly roaming around. They've had a a, a king who's obsessed about killing anyone who would take the throne, especially David. And here now this leader is on the rise, We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 30 through 2 Samuel 2, and I'll just briefly bring you up to where we're going to uh, read into some passages here that exposes the character of David, that exposes the values of David. Every Christian should adopt these principles, and I would say especially every leader should adopt these principles. But let me get us to the passages first and the points. David, he moves out of Israel. Because he's being hunted everywhere. He ends up moving into what is their famous enemy's camp. The very enemy that, that Saul was even asked to, for by the people to fight against this enemy. And he goes and lives with the Philistines. Goliath, the Philistines' nation. The people that hated David for what he had done. But David somehow works his way there and says, "Like this, I'm safer amongst my enemies and he's there for a while he becomes quite successful and he goes on these raids and he, he becomes this great warrior and then so much so the leader of this city says listen you got to be my personal bodyguard here we go we have the future king of Israel Philistine's greatest enemy and then we have David working for it's very very complicated and very very like conflicting but he's fighting now against Israel this is unusual and he's there, and what happens is that the, the, the Philistines are are already in planning this war to eventually annihilate Israel. They're coming back again. And David is going to join the fight. Now I don't know why he was gonna do this, but David, in a way, for some reason, God has always wanted to make sure he protected the integrity of David. He always wanted to make sure that if David was going to take a step that would make him the kind of, lead, the kind of leader Israel didn't deserve, God was going to try to help and intervene in some way, and he did in many ways. This was one of them. So the Philistine leaders are like, listen, we're out here to war. They see David show up, and they're like, wait, that's the guy who killed Goliath. Like, no, 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 no. We're not having him here. And the other guy's like, no, you don't understand. This is perfect in a way, I would imagine. This guy is that guy's greatest enemy. And how great would it look if we had the greatest enemy of that guy that he's trying to kill come and actually kill that guy. Now, this would have been problematic for David's reign. And so, I think in God's way, somehow, they influences them to say, listen, we don't want this. We want David and his men out of here. So David leaves. And this is where the story gets interesting. David leaves. And this ancient enemy of Israel, while David's gone, goes and raids their city where his family and all of his 600 men's families are. And they start raiding all these different places while the Philistines are out at war. And David and his men come back and find that everything is burned. They've stolen everything. And they've taken their wives and their kids and all of their possessions Like, this is a truly hide your wives, hide your husbands, hide your kids moment. Like, this is a bad, bad moment. They get back there. David and all of his men weep because their family is gone. And they're so angry at David. David's sitting there weeping and crying because his wife, his family, his kids are gone. How can this be God? What is going on here? And, and, and it's, it's, it, I just, we just watched the movie Taken the other day, and it just reminds me of, like, David does have a particular set of skills. I'm not going to lie, right? But David's particular set of skill was to trust God in everything. He was, he, he was an amazing warrior. But in this moment, it's not his particular set of warring skills that make David famous here. It's his trust in God. And David's men at, that, at some point are saying, listen we're going to kill David. This is his own trusted man. This is the low point for David. We, we need to kill him. They pick up rocks and they're going to stone him. And David says, no, we got to trust God. We're, we're going to seek him on this. So I'm going to give you four values that David ruled by. And the first one is this, is David sought and he trusted God's counsel. He just did. In this moment, Beyond his emotions, beyond what's going on, and beyond the fear of his own men, David says, I gotta ask God. I gotta talk to God. And this is an amazing moment because David always followed his voice. And you remember Jesus saying this is that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And David tuned his ear to God's voice and said, Listen, we have to talk to God. First Samuel 38 uh sorry 30 verse 8 and david inquired of the lord as his men were holding rocks to kill him and he said shall i pursue after this band do you know what he's saying if you tell me to turn away god and i lose my family forever i understand i'll do what you say shall i pursue after this band shall i overtake them And God, he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake, and you shall surely rescue them. And David set out right away, and he took his 600 men, and uh, they were on their way with him. This reminds me of a psalm that David wrote. This reminds me of the moment, probably what's going on in David's mind, and he put, in a sense pen to paper and he said this in Psalms 46 through 8 he says in sacrifice and offering you do not delight talking about God I can bring you all the sacrifice in the world to try to earn your favor but it doesn't seem to really please you but I have but you have given me an open ear David values this as the greatest thing God could give him and he can't A a, a sacrifice isn't enough. Obedience is. He he says, Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. David recognizes this is that the sacrifice that God wants of his people, and it's a reminder to us is that primarily it's the self sacrifice of obedience what i want and what god wants what i want to do and what god wants me to do he understood this spare the goats he wants your self sacrifice and this is one of the great lessons we can learn from this value of david that he governed israel by so david and his men take off they're going And all they're thinking about is, my wife, my kids, right? And they're motivated. But it's a weird story because all of a sudden, 200 of his valiant men, they're so tired, they can't cross this river to go over and to get their family back. And so they stay back. And I'm thinking, it's always kind of funny when I read this because I think like, what happens when they show up? And they're like, where's John? John, John's like so tired. He couldn't make it. (laughs) He's resting under a palm tree. Like, it's a tough situation. It, it it had to have been really bad for them not to be able to go, but the 400, they continue, you know? And I think about it, and I think, if any of us were in this situation, what would we do? How would we feel? Would we feel that this is futile, and what is worth it? When I think about the 200 men, I think about this kid. When we first moved to Texas, we had this massive blizzard, and we got uh, over 12 inches of snow in one night, which does happen in Texas, and the wind was like 30 miles an hour. This kid gets out of his car to come help me move in. He's one of my interns that I hadn't met yet. And he comes o- uh, walking up to the house and he has this scarf that his grandmother had made him and knit just for him. And as he's walking out, the wind takes his scarf and, th- and just throws it and it disappears. And I was like, do we want to go get your scarf? And he's like, it's gone, man. <laughs> I was like, what? And he's like, it's gone. I've never seen that scarf again. And I was like, Okay, and then I find out it's his grandmother's. I'm thinking when he shows it to his grandma, he's like, oh, the wind blew it away. And she's like, why don't you go after it? And, you know, it's like one of these types of scenarios. Like, why did you have to stop? Is it not worth it? But it, it wasn't at that moment. The thing that David had was he had trust and he took counsel with God. Whenever difficult situations happened, even above what he wanted, he counseled with God, which leads into the second thing on their journey. They're on their way looking for their family. Now remember, this war for the Philistines is going on right now. David's been sent home from there. He's lost his family. And now he's on the search, and they're looking around for an army that they have to fight. But the thing is, is that David, in his rule, and this is consistent with his character, is that David looks after the downtrodden. Now this becomes a major blessing for David. Because his looking out for those who are less fortunate his looking out for those who are down and out in a way his looking out for those who have been discounted by others it very much resonates with david and i think that he could see himself in his struggle in any other person's struggle when we get out of struggle and we are kind of made it past those moments You should ask yourself, have I forgotten what it's like to suffer and struggle so much? Because when we see other people, do we judge them when they're in the middle of their struggle? Or we just cast them aside and say, "Eh," you know, like, "I'm, I'm too busy for that. David would take the time and he would look upon those who are suffering and struggling and go, I see myself in you. I remember when I was this overlooked kid. I remember when I was this kid who was ultimately bullied by his own brothers. I remember when uh, I, I was doing everything I could to serve Saul and all he wanted to do was throw a spear into me. I remember when, God, you called me and all I've done is suffer since then. David could see the downtrodden himself in them and so here's what happens they're on their way first corinthians 30 11. they found an egyptian on the open in the open country and brought him to david and here's what happens the very first thing and this is the character of david they gave him bread and he ate now this is a person they don't even know they could have walked right by him he was on the brink of death he hadn't drank water for three days he was almost done they gave him bread and they ate. And they gave him him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of cake and of figs and two clusters of raisins. They're lavishing him with food. They're not just getting him to wake up enough to talk. And when he had eaten, his spirit was revived. And he had not eaten bread or drank water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong? Isn't that fascinating? Before he was valuable to David, David cared for him. Before he could give David anything, David made sure he was well cared for. He understands the plight of the downtrodden. And he cared for this person first before he wanted anything from him. And it's so interesting because the guy says this, well, it's kind of funny you say that. I was with these guys who were raiding all these places. And we'd taken all these women and children. And David's like, go on. (laughs) And he's like, uh, yeah, and they left me here because I got sick and they didn't want to take care of me. So they just left me here. And David's like, do you know where they're at? And will you show me? And he's like, if you don't kill me, I will show you where they're at. This was just the moment they needed. And he said, they're all down there. I know where they're at. And he leads them their way. But it's really ultimately, it's his heart that opens the door for them to find their families. I think David expresses this in Psalms 41, 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. Now listen to this. And poor can mean a lot of different things. Poor in spirit, poor in life, poor, poor in situations, poor in difficulty, poor in you name it spiritually like Jesus says. But listen to how, what follows this, this heart of David to the downtrodden. Blessed are the ones who consider the poor in the day of trouble the Lord delivers them. The Lord protects him, and he keeps him alive. This is very reminiscent of this story. He's called, uh, blessed in the land, and you do, uh, you, uh, you do not give him up uh, to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him at his sickbed and in his illnesses, and you restore him to full health. There's a promise on the other end of being someone who looks after or looks for the downtrodden to help. This is how he will rule his kingdom. This is what he does. And so David and his men find them. They're all partying, all of them. And it's very descriptive. This is not what the Israelites would do. And so it's trying to show a contrast of the way that outside kingdoms work. They've stolen everything. They have their families. We don't know what is happening, but they're all going crazy. They're all drunk. They're having a great time. And I'm imagining it's probably infuriating, David's 400 guys. And then they go down and they destroy them all. Now, this tribe, the Amaclites, they were the tribe that Paul lost his anointing over because he did not deal with them the way God told them. And here they are coming back and they're wreaking havoc on David. But David and his men go and they deal with them the way God wanted them dealt with. And they come back with their wives. And the 200 other wives and kids that the other guides couldn't make it all the way. And they bring them back. And then it leads us into this very next thing. Which you have to know that in antiquity, when you went out and warred, only the warriors could come back with the spoil. It was tradition. It was their right. And so they come back with everything that they had raided. And all of their stuff and their wives and kids, and they have an incredible amount of wealth. And this leads us into the very next stage of why we see that God chose David and why we should embrace these values ourselves as David lived generosity. He had every right. The spoil was even called David's spoil, right? His treasure, But this is what he does. It's very interesting. He he understood something that we lose track of sometimes and that Jesus was explicit in pointing out, is that everything is God's. Everything you have is his. The, 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 The body you have, he made. The earth and the air we breathe is his. Everything that we think we have, it's ultimately God's. And David understood this very, very well because everything he had to this point was because God allowed it for him and gave it to him because he trusted. 1 Samuel 30, 23, the men are like, we're not giving them anything. We're going to give them their wives and their kids, maybe. But we're, that's at least what they get, those guys who didn't come with us and fight. And this is how David handles it. He says, but David said, you shall not do so, my brothers with what God has given us. He has preserved us and he has given into the hand our hands the ban that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? It says for as he his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall the share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And David made it a statue and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. This is the type of person that God wants leading his people. And I will say this, this is the type of person Christ called us to constantly. This value of being generous with your life, of not thinking to collect and store and store and mine and mine and put our trust in things that actually go away. And he lived this value of generosity. Now listen to this, it even gets worse. I can imagine his men are furious when he does this. But he's showing people the way God wants him to rule. First Samuel 30, 26, David has everything, all the spoils. And he goes to all of the places in the cities that were looted by these guys. And he goes and says, listen, I'm going to, verse 26, uh, I'm going to set apart the spoil." for his friends, the elders in, in Judah, really all these cities, and saying it's a present for you from the spoil of your enemies. And it was for those in Bethel, in Ramoth, in Negev, in Jatar, in Orar, in, in, in Sitmoth, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name them all because we don't know or know these cities, but they're important that they're listed because they were raided and destroyed. And uh, Esmoah, Esmoah and Rakhal, and the cities of the Jeremelites, and the cities of the Kenites, and uh, Haram, and in the, uh, uh, oh, wow, I, I didn't get this one right, uh, Boroshan, and Atach, and Hebron, and for all the places where David and his men had roamed, he went and brought them their gift. This is the type of person he was. It was David's spoil. You know what this reminds me of a lot? If you can make the connection here. Is that this is what Jesus did? We were robbed of our relationship with God. We were robbed of our, I think, child, you know, kin, kin, no, not kin, of our. What's the word? <laughs> Dad, God's our father. So, but we were robbed of that family, like what? Heritage. Thank you, Chad. Oh, okay. I'll call on you more. You're a good. You're a good student, Chad. <laughs> And <laughs> oh, oh, his heritage. Inheritance. Inheritance. Thank you. Wow. Get your answers right, Chad. Okay, so, but at the end of the day, like, we, all of those things were taken. We didn't deserve to anything to get him back. Christ had won it all on the cross, and what does the Bible say he does for us? And he gives it to you. David is this archetype, in a way, in this character of generosity, what you didn't deserve. Christ came in. Won it for you. You were lost. Everything's gone. The enemy has stolen it. And Christ came and then gave it back generously. God warned Israel. Remember in the very beginning of this series, he said, Don't make yourself a king because kings take and they take and they take. But God has a king now that will give and he will give and he will give. And that is what makes David. Yahweh's man. It says, during and during this time, Saul and his armies are fighting. At the exact same time, David is giving this generosity to the to, to all the people who have lost, and he's won his family back. During this time, all of Saul's entire household, his um, structure of power, the entire apparatus is annihilated by the Philistines. His sons, Saul. All of his men, the Bible says, they're gone. The Philistines deal a heavy hand to him. And it's good because none of this was done in David's hands at all. And it's kind of interesting because David doesn't know about it, and he hears about it from a grifter. A guy who shows up and is like, hey, listen, David, I got good news for you. David doesn't know the guy. I got good news for you. Saul's dead. And it's concerning to David now, if you know the story, this is not like us. I don't know about you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but when you've seen an enemy fall who did you wrong, do you not get a little bit of like, <laughs> finally, right? You know what I'm saying? When you're like, oh, man, thank goodness. I don't like the Bucks. okay? The NBA team, NBA finals right now, I don't like them. I'm really happy they're in the situation they're at where the Phoenix Suns, who I don't like, but I don't like the Bucks more. Who are beating them. I am so happy about it. Even though the Phoenix Suns beat my Clippers, I'm so happy that the Bucks hopefully will not win the NBA finals. I, 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 I'm happy, I'm celebrating. We at such a bigger scale, we'll do that with somebody who truly wronged us. But David is not this way. When Jesus says, love your enemies as yourself, he's not messing around. We don't take that lightly and be like, yeah, that's a good thing that Jesus said, but it's not. It's we should pray for those who harm us. We should hurt for those when they hurt who have tried to harm us. It, it, it's a difficult place. David finds himself in where this guy comes and says, listen, I was there when he died and actually Saul asked me to kill him and I did, which is not the case. He's lying. He just happened to find Saul's crown, brought it to David. He's like, I'm going to get a lot of favor. He'll probably give me some money. This is how kings celebrate when, they're, when the other person's killed and they get to take place. I will be honored and I will get all kinds of money. And David's like, you killed Saul. He's like, yeah, I did. He told me to and I did it. And he's like, guys, kill him. <laughs> That's a shocker to this guy. David says, you, you, you don't know what it means to honor God's anointed. You don't understand. You don't know who Saul was. He was like a father to David for a period of time, and his son was like David's best, best friend. And he's like, how dare you? This is Israel's at great loss right now, and you're celebrating. This isn't how it works. This is the difference between God's economy and the world's economy. The world celebrates when its enemies fall. God's economy prays for them and grieves for the fall. David ruled this way his entire reign, which leads us into our very last thing, when he hears the news. I was trying to title this the right way, but I think it's the right way to say it, is David understood stewardship. He understood generosity, but he understood stewardship. And I'm not going to mean it in the way of finances. I'm going to mean it in the way of what God's entrusted you with. God entrusted David with his people. The greatest possession God has. The greatest value God has. And he entrusted David with his people and what does David do he says listen you're all grieving you're all suffering and I love Saul and Jonathan especially as well and David allowed them to grieve that's not something that happens I've taken over other youth ministry positions and when the students would talk about how great their other youth pastor was I would have to hold my tongue but my thoughts weren't there I'm like you don't know how bad your youth pastor was that's why he's fired I mean I'm here this is bad okay I wasn't a holy man then, and I I remember just thinking, like, why why would you keep talking about it? And I I didn't want to put, like, a moratorium on that person's name, but it was like, guys, we're moving on. They're gone. They're alive. They took another job, and and they're fine, but I'm here. Let's move on. I've had these thoughts before, and they're not good, because I wasn't allowed to, allowing these, these kids at times to grieve, or at least... I didn't shut them down, but I definitely didn't participate and say, I can understand what that feels like when you lose your youth pastor. My students have lost me to come here. It was, it, it, David was different. He understood God's people needed to be stewarded. Israel lost their king. They lost a lot of people on the battlefield. Their nation was in chaos. And they were in great despair. And they needed to grieve. This is what makes them great. It wasn't about David. It was about God's people. And if you are a leader, it is about stewardship. If you are a leader, it it is about generosity. If you are a leader, it's about trying to elevate those who are down. And if you are a leader, it is about ultimately listening to God's counsel to lead you where he wants you to go. God's people needed a shepherd, and David was their shepherd. God's people were struggling, and he led his people through the grief process. Listen to what he describes, uh, Jesus describes in a moment like this, when the people need a shepherd. And listen to how this describes the leaders who've been in place over God's people in times throughout history. They were not shepherds. They were just people who had taken power. And this is what Jesus says in John chapter 10. And he's talking about how Christ will be the shepherd. He actually cares for the sheep. And he says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. He doesn't care about them like the shepherd cares. And when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and they scatter. Jesus says in verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. And at this moment right now, Israel needs a shepherd. God has raised him up because he's the kind of shepherd who will lead the sheep. David stewarded what God had placed in his path to lead. He didn't take for himself. He wasn't a caretaker. Saul was a bit of a caretaker. And when things got hard, he scattered. And the people were left open to the wolves. This is not how David would lead. This is not the story we will be telling about David the rest of this. But it's, a, it's a, an inspiration for us, I think, as believers, to know that what God has placed in front of you, if you're a leader of some kind, if you have your family, uh, anyone that you have influence with, and maybe even over, you're a leader. You're called to steward what God has given you well. And we'll finish up with these last three passages, Second uh, Samuel 1, 11. And said, so then David, when he heard this news, he took a hold of his clothes and he tore them. This was very traditional. And so did all the men when, uh, who were with him when they heard Saul was killed and Jonathan and his family were murdered. Verse 12, and they mourned and they wept and they fasted until evening for Saul and Jonathan and his sons and for all the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Right? And I, I love this about David because David had lost so much. And he had every right to be angry. He had every right to celebrate. But this isn't the heart of a leader, and a, a definitely a person of God. We're here to mourn loss when we see it, no matter how much of an enemy they are. David, I would say this he tended to them, he allowed them to grieve. You know, it's so funny in our system now. I I always laugh. I've I've watched a lot of different presidential changes throughout the years, and they're all the same. It's funny. Uh, That guy was bad, and I'm good. (laughs) Don't they all do that? They'll do it on forever. That person was bad. I'm good. Look at how great I am. Look at how bad that person was. It will go on and on and on and on. And I get it. That's the politics of uh, of the country we live in, in every country. But not so with God's king for Israel. He said, that guy was great. And I, and, and I hope to lead the way God wants me to. This is contrary to the way we think about so many things. He even has a poem he has Israel join into. It's, it's David's poem. Um, we know he wrote this. And, it, and it's, a, it, it's, by the way, if you're in a grieving process, this is one of the best poems to go through in the process of grief. But let me read two things from it. Second, Samuel one twenty three, he says this about Saul and Jonathan. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely. In life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, and they were stronger than lions. Uh, You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul. (laughs) This This is hard probably for his emotional side to even say these things about Saul, who's tried to murder him over and over and over. And he goes, oh, in verse 27, how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. They're gone, and they were mighty. I would say these were God's people, and David was just their shepherd, shepherding him through grief. There are lots of people who love Saul. He saved their lives many times, and David honored that. You know, he could have moved in to be king. He's like, now he's gone, guys. We grieved. I went through the whole deal, right? Lots of tears. Gave you a week. Time to move on. But this truly tells you very, back to the very first value of David. This is the moment. Everyone's going like, now's the time, David, right? You're going to be king. He's gone. Nothing in the way. But look what David does. Second Samuel 2, 1. After David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? Meaning this, is this the time, God? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall, wh- to which shall I go? And he said, Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah, and it is the end of an era. A man... I think, who valued what God valued is now leading Israel. And Israel will see a renaissance. It's that way when we embrace our faith and we live out the values of Christ, those around us will thrive. The world around us will thrive. When we embrace the values that David embraced to lead. And I would say this long journey for this little shepherd boy has now begun. He is now king and he is a different kind of king. I would say this, that he is God's man for Israel now. He is a new kind of king, and he ruled by these principles. He ruled by following God's direction. He ruled by caring for the downtrodden. He ruled in generosity, and he ruled in stewardship. And I would say for any of us in here, those are great values to embrace that Christ ultimately exemplified and then even went far beyond that. But David's a good example as a human to strive for. I would say. I would say this week, if I were you, I want to give you a challenge, a thing to think about as you walk out and as we go home, and maybe this, this sermon will be in the back of your memory, but if you could think of this one thing, I would try to put into practice or at least try to implement one of those values or if not all in an area in your life and just see what's on the other side of that. Just see what God may do on the other side of that and see if maybe, maybe what God has asked David to do and the promise that comes after that might follow you or the blessing that happens might follow you on the other side of that. I will warn you though, it may not be easy like David's journey, but it will be in the path of God and he might have something new there for you. As well, and I promise you that the opportunity, opportunity, if you take it, and practicing one of those things as a believer, uh, will in some way inspire you and inspire people around you. So, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Why would David call a man after God's own heart? It's simple. It's because he aligned his values with God's values, and he lived out his value god's values even over what david may have wanted for himself and speaking to every christian in here god can work with that he can work with that aligning your values with the creator and what he wants for his children in this world he can work with that and you will be surprised what he will do on the other end of your obedience like David. I will not promise you that you will be king or queen. I will just tell you that you will see things happen in amazing ways by being obedient and following those very same values of God for his people. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. God, I know that David's story is vast and we had to go through a lot, but God, in these parts, God, these passages, they're inspirational to us. And God, I thank you so much because we just see why Christ was connected to David, why it was important to come through this man after your own heart, why Christ even took the values that David had and and just brought them so much further, God, as our example in all these different ways. I ask that this week, as anybody tries to put one of these values into practice in a situation or with a person, and God, that you just give them the strength to do so, but God, only that, uh, and grow their trust in your counsel. And God, at the end of that, help us see what you're trying to accomplish. We love you. We thank you. Christ, thank you for your obedience to the cross and beyond. And we follow you the same way, that our self-sacrifice every day is greater than anything that we can think will please you. It's our self-sacrifice and obedience like David, and the sacrifice and obedience that Christ walked his, uh, uh, his uh, what he was bearing, that cross, to the mountain to be crucified. God, help us have the same strength and resilience and boldness. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand with me and sing this last song?